the power's coming back a little bit to individuals who you know do have a good career before taking time to have children want to get back into the marketplace. And I think with everything that's so we touched on it earlier that's happened with COVID, I think this is a great opportunity to just hold firm, to really ask for the things that you want, whether that's, you know, hours need to be flexible, days need to be flexible. And if you're not getting that or you're missing out on those opportunities, that's probably a really lucky escape. I'm getting more and more of that feedback from particularly more senior women who are going through processes and think, well, actually, you know, I found a great home. And the example I gave earlier, that individual, you know, she found another great opportunity where they were willing to accommodate. Welcome to the Leaders of Babies podcast. My name is Verena Hefti. I am the CEO and founder of the social enterprise Leaders Plus. With this podcast and our award-winning Leaders Plus Fellowship Programme, I want to give you access to inspiration and practical support so you can continue to progress your career in a way that works for you whilst bringing up your young children. Always looking for more people to get involved, be that either as a senior leader mentor or as a fellow. Our applications are open now for the fellowship program. If you do want to get involved, then head over to leadersplus.org.uk forward slash fellowship. If you want to apply, then you can just have a look at the application and download the application form. We also have some hardship fund places available for people who need that. Today, I am talking to Lee Higgins. He is part of the senior leadership team at the recruitment firm Falcon Books. And he set up Avid Leaders within that because he's so passionate about increasing the diversity in the sector that he works in. And he believes that diverse recruitment is a critical way to achieve that. He's got decades of experience as a headhunter, as someone who hears what employers really want, the sort of things that you only hear behind closed doors. And he is very, very generously sharing some really practical tips about how you need to position yourself when you're applying to senior roles, director, exec roles, and, you know, just practically how to overcome some of those challenges that people might assume you are perhaps they might assume you're less committed because of your children and childcare commitments or just how yeah how you circumvent some of those those elephants in the room and how when you should raise and how you should raise that you want to work flexibly in a senior recruitment round so i hope you enjoyed the conversation with lee as much as i did if you have any comments, feedback, want to add to the conversation, then please contribute on social media. We are at leaders underscore plus on Twitter or on Instagram and of course also on LinkedIn. Like Lee suggests, we all should be on LinkedIn and using it very practically. So that's something practical I've, I've committed to doing more of since chatting to Lee. And if you enjoy the podcast and you want to support us, then please, please do so. You can do it by leaving a review. Obviously, five-star ratings make a massive difference if you got something from it. And also, if you do know someone who is currently looking for a job or thinking about looking for a job, if you share the podcast with them in a WhatsApp message or obviously other providers are available, then you help us make a bigger difference, which is in the end why we're here for. So enjoy today's conversation. Very warm welcome, Lee, to the podcast. Thank you so much for taking the time to join me. Why don't we start with you introducing yourself, your family, and what you do at work? Thank you for having me, Verena. And that's a real privilege. I feel very honored. I've listened to a number of the podcasts actually since we first spoke. So 
some tough acts to follow, but I'll, I will do my best. And so, yeah, I mean, I've been involved in executive search for 23 years, so helping firms find talent, predominantly in financial services, so across m and investment banking, leverage finance, private equity and asset management, predominantly. You know, as a part of that, uh, along that journey, those last 23 years, I've had a family. So, you know, I have two young boys. There are a handful, so Oscar and Jack, married to Lucy, who has actually had to put her career on hold a little bit, you know, whilst we've been raising children. And that was a choice that we made collectively as a family. But what it has given me a real insight into is just how difficult, you know, it can be for parents when, you know, you have your first child, but then, you know, if you have additional children as well, and how somebody, you know, something always has to, it feels like there's always a compromise. And and then that might even mean retraining, you know, and that's what my wife has decided to do. So she's gone from being, you know, in PR, internal communications, to having to retrain and find something that she's very passionate about, but also fits in, you know, around the children. We do that, you know, I'm very fortunate to work in a business that gives flexibility as well. So we're able to to manage that as best we can. And it's obviously got a little bit easier as the boys have got older. But yeah, you know, we, we certainly had that sort of painful experience of, you know, having to make significant changes, you know, particularly Lucy and sacrifices in those in those early years. And yeah, right now I'm working for Falconbrook Search. So that's a business that gets involved in recruiting, typically at a senior level, so director to board level, cross energy and commodities and asset management. I have also, because it's a passion of mine, been involved in setting up Avid Leaders, which stands for Authentic, Vulnerable, Inclusive, Diverse Leaders, because we feel they're the traits that leaders display if they're the ones that then can create a much more inclusive and diverse workforce because they're willing to show that authenticity in the workplace. And we just feel that, you know, through our research and our experience of having many conversations, they're the traits that, you know, most leaders have in common when they're looking at, you know, flexibility around and and diversity around the workforce. So setting that up has been, you know, I guess in the making for the last five or so years where I've been heavily involved in the diversity project for the Investment Association, so the asset management industry, but also just I'm very passionate about it personally. You know, I had a strong working mother for older sisters and saw the challenges that were facing women from a very early age in the workplace but also grew up from a working class background. So a very multicultural part of North London, Cricklewood to be specific. And, you know, was exposed to, you know, I guess a, a lot of diversity around me, you know, whether it was the ethnicity, religion, disability as well. Actually, our school was very heavily involved with a mental health organisation. So, you know, we had a lot of exposure as children and, I guess I've sort of carried that through. And whilst I am certainly very privileged in the sense that, you know, I'm a white middle-aged male, you know, I have seen a, a little bit of discrimination when it comes to sort of socioeconomic you know, background and, and not maybe fitting the mould as I've gone through that first you know, job application process many years ago when I left university. First person to go to university in my family as well. And I've always tried to be fair and I've always appreciated people's differences. And in the last seven years, I ran a business called the Buy Side Club. When, and I benefited hugely from employing women who were returning to the workplace, many of which had you know, taken um, time out to have children. I'm not going to say taking a break, because that's definitely not the case. Had taken time out to have children. We're looking to return, but obviously found the challenge of having children, looking after children, wanting to be a very good parent, but also finding 
professional work, which was closer to home. So we had an office locally in Berkhamsted outside of central London, but we're dealing with clients based in London and all around the world. So what we were offering was you know, the perfect combination of being able to work in a very professional environment, work with international clients, but actually for many of the mums that we ended up hiring, you know, it was very close to home and close to the schools, more importantly. And what I did uh, and recognised very quickly was we brought individuals in and let them be themselves, you know, bring their whole selves to work and fundamentally, you know, accepted the fact that we needed to provide an environment that was flexible. And we did that, you know, I think tremendously well. And that was a result of just listening to individuals in the workplace. You know, I need that flexibility too, but, you know, understanding what flexibility they needed, you know, not missing those first events at you know, the first assembly nativity play, you know, award ceremony, whatever it may be, but feeling very strongly that nobody should miss out on that. But what we started to see very quickly was that actually the conscientiousness of working mums and working parents in, in general, because if you're in the workplace, then the output, the delivery, the results, you know, were every bit as good as you know being there five days a week. So we created, yeah, it would either be reduced number of days per week or it would be reduced hours during the course of the week as well. So there are lots of things I want to go into. I, th- I think one reason why you're so interesting to me is because you obviously as a headhunter, I hope you don't mind me using this word as a really seasoned headhunter, you know what organizations are saying that they might not be saying in public, but also you're someone who really drives change around diversity in an industry that isn't known to be the most advanced. But I just want to pick up, I think you, you said something important about class, and I do want to pick up on that. Do you think, did you have to change yourself in any way in order to fit in with the industry from your working class background? 100%. I felt that pressure. So if I'm being, and it's only recently that I've changed, you know, I, I grew a beard for the first time two years ago. Before then, I felt that just wasn't acceptable, but I'd been conditioned to think that because, you know, through those very early sort of interviews in in the city for recruitment firms, actually, I did 12 months of working for a company called Aon, the insurance side, aviation insurance, but actually just felt that pressure to be clean shaven in a suit, you know, immaculately turned out. I mean, a lot of people comment on my, I, I don't think it's that middle class, but my middle class accent now. I think my mum and my dad, and my mum's no longer with us, but they always instilled the fact that we should talk nicely. And they were quite, you know, firm in that, even though perhaps the family surrounding us didn't. You know, they're very, I wouldn't say Cockney, but but very London. <laughs> so, and very working class. So the language was colourful all the time, you know, so lo- lots of expletives. You know, I had a nan and a granddad that sw- you know, swore like troopers. But I think my mum then just wanted to encourage, you know, she wanted the best for us, right? Like most parents, you want the best for your children. So it was always just trying to encourage, you know, a better way of speaking, acting, conducting yourself, you know, being accepted. And I think you very quickly then become conditioned as a human being to adapt. And then I remember going into the city for the first time, just feeling like, yeah, I had to be a certain way. I had to very much watch the way that I spoke. I wouldn't say, you know, I got through university, but I, I wouldn't, am I the brightest person out there? Absolutely not. I think, you know, hopefully what I learned growing up was how to communicate with individuals, you know, how to take people at face value, how to get to, you know, ask questions and, and show a genuine interest. And all of that, you know, is, is you know, has really helped me in my career, you know, in, in recruitment and headhunting, but has allowed me, I think, then to be almost a sounding board, particularly to more senior individuals. 
But along the way, along that journey, yeah, the pressure has always been there to conduct myself in a certain way, to wear a suit, to wear a certain tie, a certain pair of shoes. I remember when I launched the Bicycle Club going into my very first meeting, I won't name the organization, but large global bank-owned asset manager, and meeting a lovely gentleman, you know, who was very welcoming. But I just remember thinking, I'm just, I'm just not wearing the right stuff. And I felt even then, you know, just going back, you know, seven and a half years ago, I had to change what I was wearing, the shoes I was wearing, the shirt I was wearing, the tie, etc. And I did that probably for about five years. And I just thought, you know what, this is just nonsense. You know, if people can't accept me for who I am, then, you know, it's their problem, not, not mine. And you still want to be professional. You still want to be smartly turned out. But I thought I just need to be a little bit more. I need to be more authentic. And I did a lot of personal development, you know, read a lot of books and big fan of Tony Robbins, people like Gary Vaynerchuk. And just, you know, thinking, yeah, you know what, I can offer a lot. People should judge me on my content. But definitely, it's a long-winded answer to your question. Definitely felt that pressure to be a certain way. I particularly remember those first balls at university, the first time, you know, black tie to do things <laughs> in the right way, even to deal with the cutlery or, you know, you were mixing with people from private schools for the first time, or I, I certainly was. So, yeah, it was, a, it was a real learning curve. And you always felt you were inferior. I think we just need to talk so much more about class because, so I'm from Switzerland, as you probably know, and I don't, well, class is definitely not such an issue in Switzerland. I'm sure similar themes are, it's probably more countryside people and city people, but it's not as extreme as here in the UK. So you wouldn't be able to tell by someone's accent. And, and I was really shocked about the different life chances that people have, you know, just statistically, depending on what class they're from. So I think whenever we talk about equality and leadership, I do think we need to talk about class as well. Thank you for sharing that so honestly. I'm interested in that progression to very senior leaderships. So, you know, I set up the Social Enterprise Leaders Plus because I really, really think that we need to have more equality in senior leadership. And I think one of the reasons why there isn't that there aren't that many women represented in senior leadership is because they tend to get stuck when they have children, which means they don't progress. And obviously there are, there's a whole load of social factors, but there's also something about understanding exactly what organizations expect at a senior, very senior level. Sorry, that's not a scientific way of expression, is it? But, you know, like <laughs> director roles, exec roles and so on. Yeah. And I'm just interested from you as a recruiter, is there a way where you can distinguish very clearly the type of applicants that would be suitable or that are seen as suitable by organizations for very senior roles and those who are not? Because I think, I mean, I am assuming that there's something that the old boys network knows about this that I would like the listeners to know as well. Maybe there isn't, in which case, tell me, but is there something concrete that is essential to get to that very, well, like, again, the very senior level? I think the, the number one thing is achievements. So it's being able to demonstrate your achievements through your career. And obviously, clearly, even if you've taken that time out to have children, you still got those achievements and then it's just being able to highlight those. So I think a lot of people talk about their responsibilities and but really it's just dining out, you know, this is what I've delivered. And it's being able to you know, just back that up with numbers, right? So whether it's, you know, cost savings, you know, savings in time, you know, revenue generation, whatever it may be, it's about being able to demonstrate that very clearly. It's also that, I think, that commitment 
you know, real commitment to, to the cause. And this is what's really interesting, I think, about, you know, let, let's be open about this, about particularly working mothers coming back into the workplace. I think there's a view that they can't possibly be committed. You can't possibly be committed. They've got children to worry about. What's going to happen, you know, if you know one of the children gets ill, has an accident, whatever. And I think it's all about that disruption, which I think senior leadership teams and you know, let's, let's face it, many men, not all men, but many men have found difficult to manage over the years. The good news is I think all of this is changing, you know, not rapidly or as rapidly as we would like, but it is changing. And COVID has, has a big impact on that, right? Because I think there's been a glimpse into the world of, you know, having the challenges of managing home and work and children and work. But, um, but coming back to how you sort of get to that point, yeah, commitment and achievements. I feel when I've coached or tried to help senior women find jobs, it's been about making sure you get down your achievements, demonstrate your commitment, address that elephant in the room sometimes, which is, yes, I do have children, but, you know, actually, I mean, I, I was writing down some notes earlier. I was just thinking about, you know, one of the biggest commitments anybody can make is to bring children into the world, right? And actually raise a hum- another human being. So if you want to see a, you know, a valuable example of commitment, then what better example being a parent? So I think you can never underestimate that, you know, what it takes to make that commitment. But then, you know, it just takes, I think, most individuals to a whole nother level. You know, this is, you know, the mums and the dads, right? It's, it's that organisation that you need. It's realising that you do have more time than you ever thought you had to just cram everything in, you know, from the outset of, you know, changing nappies and looking after somebody else and feeding times, but actually still getting your work done and still having a bit of a life and still being you, still being that individual, still finding time for friends as well, which is incredibly important and that support network. So that is a real sign of commitment. And, but I think it is, you know, just really being able to give those clear examples of I am somebody that does achieve, I have achieved, nothing's changed. I've taken time to, to have children and I come back in with probably even more commitment. And now if I'm going to be at work, right, I'm going to be full on because I wouldn't make that choice if that wasn't the case. I'd stay at home with my children. So be very, very clear about your commitment and don't forget to address it because some people will make the assumption that you're not committed enough. Absolutely. Because you go through an interview process, it doesn't come up. People are scared. They live in fear of talking about children your home life and it's like well hang on a second you now you know is there some prejudice towards me about the fact that I have children so it doesn't come up and I think you've got to address it as either a woman or a man who's a parent who you know perhaps might need flexibility or is coming back in after a you know a a break from your career and you know you need to address it head on you need to talk about how you've created a support network around you unfortunately this, this shouldn't have to be the case but it is how you've created that support network that will allow you to deliver the results and the outcomes for your potential employer, but also, you know, manage your family life and just tackle it. Mm, That's brilliant advice. And thank you for being so honest. Is there anything else that is an elephant in the room that people don't talk about, but you hear or you've heard because of your experience as a recruiter? If we look at, obviously, leaders with children then you know it's you know absolutely it's that choice then that hiring managers might be making between somebody you know let's face it a woman with children and those responsibilities and a man 
And unfortunately, I don't think you know, there's enough probing into the personal circumstances and life and how you manage that at home. It's just assumed still, there's still a big assumption. And this is a bit of a sweeping generalization, but I think in the main, it's the assumption that if you're a man, it's okay. There'll be someone else taking care of business at home and you can come in and commit fully to your work. And as a woman, there's still there's always that question mark and it might be an unconscious bias in the back of the interview panel panel's head. And even if they're women interviewing, what is the productivity going to be like from you know the female candidate versus the male candidate? And sometimes when it's a really narrow margin, I do feel those biases get in the way and possibly the wrong decisions have been made. And I've seen that. I've seen that, you know, where I've, I've seen a leading female candidate in a process get down to the final two for a job. All the feedback has been incredibly positive. Yep, it's, you know, it's the, it's the woman that we want. She's definitely the preferred candidate. Then all of a sudden, as soon as the question over, can I have some flexibility? Can I do, you know, I've worked for the last three years doing four days a week and the fifth day being pretty reactive, but I will react if required. And then also what I like to do is just take a couple of hours out towards the end of the day just to, to make, you know, look after my children, have sit down, have dinner with them and make sure they're all set up homework and then get back to it. And this particular individual was working you know, with the US. So that could be done because you get back online and still address, you know, anything that needs to be, you know, done from a work perspective with, with the US. And then all of a sudden that candidate becomes second choice with very lame excuses around why that's now happened. And there's probably countless examples of where that's happened. If all of a sudden, oh, hey, it looks like this could be difficult for us. So let's, you know, maybe let's go with the the easier option, should we say, where we don't have to think about how we're going to be flexible and what, you know, what that means for the hiring manager at the time, you know, that putting themselves out now to accommodate somebody who needs a tiny little bit of flexibility. Yeah, and I think we could get really, really annoyed about that. But the important thing is to know that it's happening and then think about how to address it. And I'm pleased that you, with Avid Leaders, you're addressing it from the organizational side. As an individual, you hear this and (laughs) you think, well, okay, I can see that this is the reality, but I still want to have a senior leadership role flexibly. And yes, I will still raise the question of flexibility during the selection process. What's your practical advice, if any, about when to raise it that you want flexibility and how to increase your chances of getting it? Or do you think actually don't raise it at all, just forget about it, it's not possible in your industry? I think it's really possible. You know, we've done quite a lot of work and, and had loads of conversations across different industries. So in pharma and consulting and in entertainment industry as well. And so what we're, we're starting to see, and I think individuals themselves who are looking for that next role particularly when they have a family are now thinking well actually i've got a choice because there are organizations that are progressive there are organizations that are developing the right cultures and so actually now the power is coming back a little bit to individuals who you know do have a good career before taking time to have children want to get back into the marketplace. And I think with everything that's, say we touched on it earlier, that's happened with COVID, I think this is a great opportunity to just hold firm, to really ask for the things that you want, whether that's, you know, hours need to be flexible, days need to be flexible. And if you're not getting that, or you're missing out on those opportunities, that's probably a really lucky escape. 
And I, I'm getting more and more of that feedback from particularly more senior women who are going through processes and think, well, actually, you know, I've found a great home. And the example I gave earlier, that individual, you know, she found another great opportunity where they were willing to accommodate. And I think what you sometimes, and, and I've seen this, my wife applied for some jobs recently, you know, you get so consumed with that application process and you invest so much emotional, so much of your emotion into that process that when it doesn't happen, you feel really deflated. And I think it is a numbers game. And this is the thing, you know, that every no takes you closer to a yes, which is going to be a really positive experience for you. I'm a big believer in that. And I feel like it's just, yeah, it's putting yourself out there, being brave enough to put yourself out there more, to not be afraid of those rejections, because those rejections will take you closer to the right opportunity in the future in a business that's probably going to be, you know, 10 times more supportive, inclusive, and give you the flexibility that you, you desire. So if you really set your stall out and, and put yourself out there, then I think you're going to see you know, results and you're going to end up finding that opportunity that meets all your needs or the majority of your needs for sure. And so this may be a dumb question, but I'm asking it anyways. If you are going for one of those very senior roles, <laughs> as per your, well, whatever we want to define that, but you know, a senior director, exec level type roles, in reality, how many applications do you think are needed in order to get to your dream role? I know that's a big, it's really a finger in the air type question, but I'm just interested because sometimes people ask me, you know, am I doing it wrong? Should I keep going? Should I not? I'm interested in your view. There are a lot of variables there because it depends on the industry. It depends if you're looking, you know, if you're taking your transferable skills into a different industry or a slightly different role. But I've got a really good example where I was speaking to a senior woman who had actually older children but still and, and this I think what was coming into the equation here was age plus being a mother and this individual you know she'd gone through probably about half a dozen or so processes again where she'd got down to the final round you know the final two candidates just hadn't got the job and I, I had a very blunt conversation. I said, look, you, you do need to address that elephant in the room that you've got the energy that you've got childcare. you're going to give every you know, all the commitment that they could possibly get from someone who is maybe 10 years younger and doesn't have children. So, you know, that was what, so the seventh role, she then secured the, you know, the opportunity, which has been fantastic for her and her career. So I think you're looking anywhere between, you know, I don't know, five and 20 applications. But, you know, if you listen to some of the, I guess, outrageous sort of statements out there, they say, well, you might have to apply to sort of 200 jobs before you find that dream job that meets all your needs. You know, it's a little bit of an unknown, but I, I would see if you're more senior, looking at director level to sort of board, you're probably going through, you know, potentially half a dozen or so processes, unless, you know, you're using your own network. And, you know, this is the same for women and even women returning into the workplace after having children, that you, you know, you can still utilize that network, and which, you know, which case that will just reduce that job search process considerably. And it may be that actually you get approached whilst you're out. And we're starting to see that now. I mean, I had a conversation with an investment firm last week. So, look, you know, we, we are looking to bring someone in on, on the sort of regulatory side of the business. And what we really want to start looking at now is, is maybe a returning mum. You know, somebody that has that experience. We don't feel we need someone in here full time. And we think that's a great talent pool to look into. So the fact that, you know, now, I mean, going back, Six years ago, I, I would have never had a conversation or a call like that. Just wouldn't have happened. So the fact now that firms, that's a thought, 
that's in their head when they're looking to go into hire, do we need this person full-time? Is there a talent pool that we're missing out on? That's, that is happening. So again, that I think you'll start to see that the effort required will be less and less as firms you know, adopt more flexibility in the workplace. That's really, really encouraging to hear. And you mentioned being approached by a search firm or a recruiter. How does one get approached by a search firm? I mean, is there a magic ingredient? That's a great question. I think it's value again and it's achievement. So, you know, clearly there are things that you can do, like having a really good LinkedIn profile that clearly states, you know, what you do, what you've achieved, you know, will help. I think these days it's just being well networked. So taking the time to speak to some of those search firms, but the ones that perhaps recommended through, you know, your own network initially. So where you know you're going to be able to get some good advice, even if you're not going to be put forward to the next big job they have on, at least you're going to be able to get some good advice from that you know, particular headhunter and, and, and firm. And I think what I see now these days, we're probably looking at almost like an 80-20 rule. So, so most individuals at the senior level I'm speaking to, 80% of their effort goes into their own network and 20% talking to some of the big you know, search firms. And getting known and just seeing what's available and making them aware that they're out there and, and looking for work but increasingly we're seeing more and again i think this is very good for for parents who are looking to return into the workplace we're seeing more direct recruiting happening we're seeing you know more hiring managers being tasked with utilizing their own network first and foremost but with that you know with the whole push around diversity and inclusion you know what you're seeing now is that they need to expand that network and that's exactly what we're trying to help them with, with, with avid leaders is just expand that network to get outside of the sort of people like us mentality and just going to people they've worked with previously, people they went to university with, went to school with, you know, the sort of safe bet, nothing ever changes. It's expanding that network. So I think now there becomes more opportunities. You're not worried so much about getting on the radar of the search firm, but I think you do need to be focusing on building your network. You're afraid to ask for that support and help. I'm so pleased you're saying that. With the fellowship program that we're running, we put a really massive focus on that because it's such a temptation, isn't it, when you come back from maternity or share parental leave to just work extra, extra hard in order to prove that you are still you've still got it. But actually you do need to prioritize those water coolery type conversations or random coffee chats by a video conferencing. So I'm really pleased you're reinforcing that. So with avid leaders then I'm interested, what do you do, one, to, to change very, well, even more senior people's minds? I presume you're working with board members and so on who then recruit the very senior people. So how do you change their mind, if at all? And practically, is there something that we can take away if, if we're generally recruiting for roles about, like you say, recruiting more diverse cohorts of people? Because I'm sure most of the listeners will also be recruiting themselves. There's a number of things you need to address. So firstly, internally, there'll be coaching that goes on, you know, whether that's looking at sort of unconscious bias and conditioning over the years, but and then, you know, then incentivizing and most of motivating individuals to look at a broader network, right? And that, that shouldn't have to be the case, but it does. And I feel like what's happening now is we are starting to see some organizations say we, we really recognize that we just, you know, everyone is the same, right? We've recruited pretty much from the same academic institutions, from the same types of companies. And we've always looked to bring 
And this is happening across industry as well, individuals with the relevant skill set straight into the job. But I think if we're going to improve the you know, diversity in the organization, we need to look at transferable skills and we need to expand that network. And they're the key things at the moment. And I feel you know, for some of the conversations I've had with individuals, like Kamel Hothi, for example. So Kamel, who is a top 100 influencer in the UK when it comes to DNI, started her career at Lloyd's. She's a big believer in storytelling. So as a female, but also as an ethnic minority, you know, she was very fortunately given a platform to showcase what she could do and what she could deliver. But it's like then recognizing that you know, there are other women out there, there are other ethnic minorities that you can also, you know, give these opportunities to. And that might be people coming from external sources, but also internally already within your organization. But the key thing is to start having more conversations and to learn and to understand, you know, the broader network. And so as a hiring manager, the key, the more forward thinking firms now are definitely recognizing that. They're coming to avid leaders, they're saying, look, we recognize we're recruiting from the same pool. It has to change. So first of all, we need to understand the diverse talent pool, the community that does exist, and it does exist. You just need to look really hard for it and you need to you know, get to know different pools of talent engage in those conversations and it's not about trying to fill a job right now an open vacancy it's about you know pipelining for the future and i'm a big believer in that if you're forced into making a a quick decision because you know somebody's left your organization your talent strategy isn't as it should be so you're much more reactive than proactive then all of a sudden you know you are trying to find that person who will probably come from your network and nothing ever changes right whereas if you plan get to know that broader talent community, start to understand what type of skills can be brought into your organization and to look at you know, diversity in its broadest sense, just looking at cognitive diversity, you know, can somebody give you a different perspective in your team? You know, that's incredibly valuable. And it's been proven, right? There's so many case studies now where you look at diversity in decision-making and there are case studies and examples where you see that better decisions are made you know, with a more diverse team. And so I think it's important that hiring managers start to recognize that and say with more progressive firms, they are. I think still you will see a lot of hiring managers and organizations, there's a little bit of fear, like we, we don't really know what our strategy should be. We don't really know how to do this. You know, it, it's very, in my opinion, this is just my opinion, it's very easy to hide behind lots of coaching and lots of courses and reading books and watching films and all the rest of it. But actually, I think, you know, just get to know individuals. And I spoke to, there's a great individual that has been very supportive of our Avid Leaders program called Dale Headley, who was part of the, or set up the Black Leadership Forum at JP Morgan Asset Management. And right at the outset, when we looked at creating Avid Leaders, Dale said, look, you know, people have got to have the conversations, you know, with women, with ethnic minorities, you know, they've, and they've got to really understand those individuals and what's going on in their lives. And that's the only way that anything changes. And I had a conversation with a female who's in sales last week who was talking about her experience. And there was a comment that was made that was discriminatory on the desk. I said, just out of curiosity, when that comment was made, how long had you been working with that individual? And she said a year, 12 months. And it was a comment that was made about you know, her upbringing, her background, her education, all the rest of it. And I said, well, it's quite interesting that you then had to educate that individual, having been in the organization for a year on your background. They hadn't bothered to take the time to get to know you in 12 months. And I think this is my, you know, this is my sort of biggest bit of advice to hiring managers out there is to really get to know individuals, you know, get to know not just what they do in the workplace, 
but the whole person, because I think that's the only way that things start to, to really change. If someone hearing these things, this sounds extremely important, but where do I start? Assuming they don't know, let's talk about ethnic minorities as an example, assuming they literally do have a white network. What would be a concrete step they could take this week to start diversifying their network aside from getting involved with avid leaders? I think there's some very simple steps. You can approach people in your organisation. You come from an ethnic minority background or underrepresented group. Just start asking them questions about, you know, them as an individual, their background, their family background, and get to, you know, if there are questions more specifically around religion, what's going on politically, from their perspective, you know, just ask, be, don't be afraid to ask those questions, have the conversation. I think when I've spoken to individuals from different ethnic backgrounds, that's their key thing is that just don't be afraid to ask us questions. And we'll, we'll, we'll gladly talk about, you know, our background, our beliefs. And you know, for somebody to be able to do that, I think they will learn more than reading books. And I, and I did that with Dale. I said, look, Dale, I've known you for 15 years and I haven't asked you certain questions about your, your background, your family, your education, you know, more broadly, what it was like, what your experiences were like in the US. You know, and I think, you know, when you were growing up as, you know, a, a teenager and, and then at university, you know, and all of this is really important because it gives you greater insight into the individual. And the challenges they've had to overcome to get to a point, you know, where they've now developed a professional career. And I think what you start to then see is the determination, the motivation, the commitment that you will get if you're hiring individuals who, you know, have had to overcome those microaggressions on a daily basis, discrimination on a daily basis. If you're not at the receiving end, it's just really hard to understand. So as you say, the personal story is what matters. We're going to come to the end of our time sadly but I just want to know is there anything else that you didn't know when you started out in the recruitment market that you know now that you think might be relevant for the listeners? The key things for me would be all about you know making sure you understand your achievements and what you have to offer as a whole person which we touched on earlier and talking about that very openly so being authentic so we've done a lot of work around sort of authenticity and vulnerability and what that really means. And I think if you stick to who you are, you know, I think as a recruiter initially when I started my career, you know, back in the 90s, it was all about, you know, just a front. You know, pretend to be that person to just make sure you get through that process and you get off of the job. And there was very little regard. It was, it was you know, particularly in financial services, and you know, I speak very much from the financial services standpoint it was about money and what i've seen now is a huge shift particularly during covid in people really just taking a step back and prioritizing what's important to them in life you know doing good giving back being in an, in an organization that is inclusive where they can bring their whole selves to the workplace and i think that is really important now and i've, I've learned that over the years that it is okay be you know you and to bring yourself to the workplace every single day. And if you don't feel you can do that, then you're probably in the wrong organisation because there are organisations that exist now where you can do that. And I think that's what I'm having more and more of those conversations where, you know, senior portfolio managers, directors, MDs, you know, board advisors are just all contemplating, you know, what type of organisation they want to be in. And we're helping, a, we're going to be helping a, a startup investment platform next year build out their business. And from meeting the board and having those early conversations, it's all about, you know, leave your ego at the door, 
you know, join an inclusive organization. It's an investment platform that you know, will look at ESG. So, you know, if you're interested in doing some good, you know, we want you in our business. We want, you know, they're offering flexibility on location, on hours, on days. And it's about bringing the right people into that organization that can drive forward. You know, the learning for me is that over the years, I've seen a shift and I've seen that, you know, shift in mindset accelerate over the last, you know, nine months now. I'm pretty convinced that's not going away and I don't think people will let it go away. So I think, yeah, don't be afraid to talk about your achievements, your family, you as an individual, and absolutely demonstrate your commitment and address any what you would see as an elephant in the room, whether that's family circumstances, whatever it may be, bring it out in those conversations and you will very quickly get a sense of whether that's the right culture and organisation for you. I find it really encouraging that you are so strongly talking about purpose especially given the industry that you're working in, you know, because I do think that if we're talking about making change, I do think that connection to what's important to you is so important. But I didn't expect you, no offense, but I didn't expect you as someone (laughs) who, you know, it's a really cutthroat environment, isn't it, with recruiting, or at least that's what I'm imagining it to be. And you saying that that has changed is just wonderful and really, really encouraging to hear. Fabulous. Someone who here's this says, right, I want to find a more senior role. I'm really inspired by Lee. I want to find a more senior role where I can live out my purpose. But where do I start? I don't actually have time. So I can only spend 10 minutes on it this week. What would you advise them to do practically? Even just a couple of really practical 10 minute things they might be able to do. I would make a massive use of LinkedIn. LinkedIn is underutilized for people's job search. And I would reach out directly to organizations And just try and connect. Here is me. You know, this is what I do. This is what I can bring to the firm. I'm interested in a conversation and just keep doing that. If you spend 10 minutes a day just putting yourself out there, particularly, you know, when job seeking, right, you you know, and and pick the companies that you're really interested in, you know, whether they're brands, whether whether they're just organizations that you know are doing some good, whether you think these are disruptors in your particular industry and you want to be a part of that journey, but you just got to put yourself out there. And if you did that 10 minutes every single day, you know, if you send out three, four, five, however many messages that you want to those organizations, you know, you're taking really positive action and you will get people coming back to you and saying, you know, really interesting background, would love to connect. Or, you know, I can connect you with someone else in the organization. And then alongside that, you know, as you maybe you alternate that with your own network, you know, don't be afraid to ask for help. I think so many people just, I don't want to interrupt, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to sort of put someone out. It's like, you know, this is your opportunity to make a change in your life and make a positive change. And, you know, you're just asking for a bit of help. And I think whenever you say to someone, I'm sorry to interrupt, but could I just ask for a bit of help? Very difficult for people to say no. You wouldn't ask for a job, I presume. What would you concrete? Ask? I think you say, look, here's my situation. You know, I'm looking to get back into the workplace. Here's the type of opportunity I'm looking for. You know, can you just think about maybe two or three people in your network that you think it might be worth me connecting with? And I think, you know, you've got to be quite specific. Don't say, you know, is there anyone you can connect me with? Someone will go, oh, no, I can't. But if you say there are two people that you think it'd be worth me speaking to, then someone will think about two people. They might think, oh, actually, you know, I there might be someone. It might, might not lead to a job, but it'll be another connection. If you do that, you know, maybe put one call in to somebody that you you trust, you value their opinion. You know, they're pretty well connected themselves and reach out to them, you know, one person each day over the next, you know, week, two weeks, however. You have got to put that work in, but even if it's in bite-sized chunks, you'll start to see traction, but it will come over time. It will take a little bit of time, but then it will start to come back. But then equally, you've got to reciprocate that. 
So if people come to you, you know, be that person that is willing to help make those connections, offer a bit of support, guidance, steer them in the right direction, whether it's a, an individual, an article, a podcast, or whatever it may be that can help them, then, you know, you're taking some positive steps and you're, you know, helping others, helping yourself. And I think that is the thing that I would always say, anyone that comes to me looking for a job right now, you know, whether they are looking to return to the workplace and be made redundant, it's tough times. But I think if you start putting the feelers out, reaching out and taking real action and not waiting for it to come to you, I think you, you're going to see results. And we've seen that time and time again over the last nine months. People that have been made redundant are already back in the workplace thinking there's no chance of getting a job right now. People who've returned, you know, from having children and, and what are the chances of me getting a job, but it's happening. What are the chances of me getting an interview, but it's happening. It's no coincidence. It's those individuals that are putting themselves out there time and time again. You know, 50 applications, not one or two. I'm so glad I've got you on the podcast. I, I feel like you're just dishing out wisdom left, right and centre. But just checking on the LinkedIn questions where you said 10 minutes a day or every other day, just send out invitations to people or organisations you're interested in. Any thoughts about, again, this is a very basic question, but connect with HR directors, connect with board members in those organisations? What is there? Yeah, this is probably a whole other podcast, but there are a number of ways you can do it. So it might be you know, talent acquisition, if the business has a talent acquisition department, HR, but then also the hiring managers within or, or senior leaders that you can see will be hiring okay, within different departments. Connect. Here I am. I just want to put myself on your radar, putting myself out there. This is what I've done. Appreciate you probably not hiring right now, but I'd love to just say hi if you're open-minded to having a conversation. And, you know, it's an organization I'm interested in for these reasons. And yeah, I think I can add value. Whatever it be, it could be a very short message. And it might be that it's multiple people you're reaching out to in the same organization. I'll give you a great example. So I know somebody wanted to work for ITV. This is going back, you know, many years ago. I won't say who it's unfair, but it's about then they network through that organization, applied to the jobs that were out there, but also then put themselves you know, in contact with individuals who might be in a position to hire and networked and end up securing that opportunity. And it was just making a you know, real conviction and a beeline for that firm. And I think, you know, if you're doing that 10 minutes a day looking at organizations that you would like to work for, I think you'll, you know, you'll start to see something like that. Some will just ignore you. Don't get me wrong, it's not going to be easy. But you just keep going, keep going, keep going. And if, and if it's 10 minutes a day, 10 minutes a day, 10 minutes, and don't worry about the response coming back. You know, don't consume yourself with that. Just put the message out, put the message out, put the message out, follow up, follow through, and then you will start to see some traction over time. But I think increasingly, and this is the real positive thing for listeners, is that increasingly you are seeing firms do more and more hiring direct. And we're educating organizations now on how much talent they're missing, how much talent has reached out to them directly over the years, that they've missed that opportunity, or they're then doing a, you know, a search. And actually, they've had people who, have, you know, they end up hiring people that have actually try to connect with them directly. And I had this conversation at the end of last year. So how many people do you think you've hired through a search firm that have actually already tried to connect to you, either through someone they know in the organization, or they've sent their CV in directly? And, and there was a... A stunned silence, but then the head of HR actually turned around and said, I think there's quite a few of those. Interesting. So you're basically making yourself redundant. Is that what you're saying, Lee? Well, <laughs> there's always a need, right? There's always a need for search firms, but we live in a world where we recognize that firms, you know, will be doing more and more hiring direct. I mean, my wife's going through it now, you know, searching for a, a job that she could do part time alongside her coaching. It's tough. It's tough, but she's, you know, it is that persistence, persistence, not worrying about the outcome. 
you know, not worry about will the job be right because you just make the application. If you don't, you know, you're not signing a contract. So you're still going to go through a process. Yeah, I mean, I think that's so important. But I've seen it with, you know, just with Dale as an example recently, you know, he's in an interim contract at the moment, but he's looking for perm work. And I've just connected him with a couple of people that have been able to put him in front of their clients, you know, for you know, recruiters. I've also connected him directly with my own network, whether there's, you know, opportunities have come up that he would have never have got access to, would never have known that they were on the horizon. So that network is really, you know, can be really powerful. You know, it's just asking. And there's something about sponsoring people, like you're obviously doing really well and giving people a leg up to the developer purpose. They can definitely find me on LinkedIn, yeah, which, um, and we, we, we post some really good content as well, which people might find incredibly useful. Also on falconbrooksearch.com forward slash avid, A-V-I-D hyphen leaders. And I think there at the moment, they're the two sort of main places to look. Again, you know, the content that we're sharing, we are interviewing individuals. And you very kindly obviously offered to, to do one of those interviews, which we'll be sharing. But I think they give really good insights, you know, both from a hiring manager perspective, but also from you know, women in the workplace, you know, parents in the workplace. And I think you know, more and more of that content will be producing over 2021 as well. And I think people do find those, that, those stories and those examples really, really helpful. And again, if anyone wants to reach out on LinkedIn, I'm always happy to have a conversation. It doesn't matter that, you know, our focus is financial services, energy and commodities. If you're in a different industry, I think a lot of what we've touched on today, which we can always go into much more depth on, you know, I'm happy to share advice, guidance and and support or try and connect you with others that might be able to help. So again, yeah, definitely encourage people to reach out and try and connect directly as well. Fantastic. Thank you so much, Lee. You've been absolutely wonderful pleasure thank you for having me and I, I hope it helps and yeah you know leaders with babies just a great podcast so thank you for having me Brina. appreciate it thank you for listening today and sticking with us until the end i hope you enjoyed the advice and input from lee i'm very much did and if you want to get together with a group of people who are asked ambitious as you are and who really obviously love their children but also don't want to choose between a senior career and kids do head over to leadersplus.org.uk to join a network of like-minded ambitious individuals and obviously if this podcast has helped you in any way like i said at the beginning please take a moment to share it with a friend or two and if you can share it on social media that really helps and kind of (laughs) makes the time that we spend uh, planning for and having those conversations have a bigger impact which is what we're here for So thank you for your help and support. Until next time, have a wonderful week.